y'all doing? Hey, somebody asked me this morning how I was doing, and uh, in the famous words of Pastor Cliff, I am feeling lit this morning. You know what I'm saying? Hey, let me tell you why I'm feeling lit. We just got back from a trip where 800 students were gathered for two days worshiping King Jesus. And it was awesome. And when y'all, we came back with three of our own that feel the call to gospel ministry. He is building his church, and it is a good day. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, let me tell you what else I'm feeling lit. I slept 11 and a half hours last night. My dad woke me up from my nap and said, let's go get pizza and wings so y'all be ready. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant today. It's going to be lit. Hey, my name is Michael. I'm the student pastor here. I'm glad that I'm here this morning and that I get to share with you. Here's our topic for the day. We're talking about the power of the gospel and diversity. The power of the gospel and diversity. Here's a question that I want you and me to think about today. Does the 20th century church, Michael, what is the 20th century church? It's this church. It's every church that exists right now. Does the 20th century church look like the church that we see founded in Acts? Does it look the same? Well, of course it doesn't look the same, right? Like culture has changed, people has changed, uh, the location has changed. But there are some things that, that are true about the church of Acts that should never change for us. Like the message of the gospel, it should never change for us. This morning I want us to look at a detail that happens in the church of Acts that needs to be happening now, and that is this. From the moment of the resurrection, all throughout the church of Acts, and, and even right now, we can see that the resurrected church is supposed to be diverse. Diverse. Like, it shouldn't be walking into a town where everybody has the same three last names, and when we get together for a family get-together, the whole town's there. That's not what church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be diverse. And so today, what I want to do is we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, and this morning, I want to show you three truths, three truths this morning about the power of the gospel and diversity. Hey, our passage today, it's important to, to just note timelines. Our passage today comes eight to nine years after Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost is the event where Jesus told his disciples, stay where you are, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit. They go out on the day of Passover. They begin to preach in other tongues and through the power of the Holy Spirit and people hear. And no, this is eight years after that event. And today in our story, we're gonna learn about two people. Everybody say Peter. Everybody say Cornelius. Peter is the apostle, right, that, that God shows and that God asks, hey, who do you think that I am? And Peter's the only one who says, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And that song that we just got done singing about, Build My Church, Jesus told Peter, on you, on this rock, the knowledge of who I am, I'm going to build my church. So that's Peter. We're talking about him today. Then we're talking about a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is, we're going to learn, he is a Roman officer in the army. Your Bible might say when we read about him that he's a captain. But I want everybody to say centurion. You just learned a new word. Isn't it good? So that's who we're learning about today. Peter the apostle and Cornelius the centurion. Hey, let me invite you to do this. Let me invite you to pray this over yourself and over those around you, over your family. Would you just say these words? God, speak, and I will listen. Father, that's the cry of our heart today, God, that you might come alongside of us, God, that you might speak, God. As we read the word and as the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates it, as it shows us exactly what you're trying to teach Peter, God, and what you're trying to teach Peter is exactly what you're trying to teach us today, God. 
So I pray that you might come and that you might speak and that you might open our ears to hear clearly what you want to say about the power of the gospel and diversity in your church. I pray that you might do these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to begin reading in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And hold on, it's a lot of scripture today. Acts chapter 10 has 48 verses, but we're not going to go through all 48. You're welcome. I care about you. I care about your lunch plans. But it's going to be really important for you to hang with me because I'm going to summarize some of it, okay? But here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain or centurion of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, a God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, said the angel, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. Let me just pause right there and just kind of give you a little bit of biblical insight. Uh, if, you ever, if you ever think that you saw an angel, and your first instinct wasn't, I am terrified, Friends, what you saw was the shrimp the night before or those nachos the night before. Anytime somebody sees an angel in Scripture, the immediate feeling that they have is terror immediately. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, an angel came to me and they told me to tell you this, here's your question. Were you scared when they come? And if, if they're not scared, they didn't see an angel. You don't have to tell them that. You can just say, thanks for telling me. I appreciate it. But when angels come, humanity is terrified all throughout the Scripture. So Cornelius stared at the angel in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now I want you to send some men to Joppa. Joppa is 31 miles away from Caesarea. And summon a man there named Simon Peter. He is staying with another Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier and one of his personal attendants. And he told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa to go find this guy named Peter. Okay, everybody say the word centurion. We get our word century from centurion. So this Roman officer, Cornelius, is a centurion, and that means that he has a hundred men, a hundred men of the Roman army underneath his authority, okay? So he is a leader in the Roman army. The Bible also says that he's a leader in his community. The Bible says that he is a God-fearer. That, that is, has a very specific meaning in the Scripture. Here's what it means. It means that this is somebody who is not Jewish, that they're not part of God's people, but this person fears God. They love the Lord, the God of Israel, and most likely that this person would have adhered to God's top ten, right? The ten commandments. Don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, all those ten. But they were not a full-fledged converted Jew, to be a full-fledged converted Jew, you had to undergo the ritual of being circumcised. And you didn't just have to be circumcised, you had to adhere to all 613 of the Levitical laws. So this guy, Cornelius, is a centurion. He's a God-fearer. He's not a full-fledged Jew. But the Bible also gives us some more details. It says that he is devout in his religion. He prays, I would assume, every day. The Bible says that he gives money to the poor. And the Bible says that on a particular day, an angel showed up around three o'clock to talk to him. 
So let's have a little Q&A, open discussion, not trick questions. Here's the first question. Is Cornelius a good man? Yeah, absolutely he's a good man. Is Cornelius a religious man? Oh yeah, he's, he's probably more religious than I am, right? He's probably more religious than most of the people here in this room. But here's the point of the passage today. God is getting ready to send Peter to Cornelius so Cornelius can hear the gospel. So with that in mind and us knowing that Cornelius, he's a good man, he's a religious man. Here's the third question. Is Cornelius a saved man? Uh-uh. Cornelius is not a born-again man. And this wasn't one of my points today, but I probably should have had it be a point. You should write this down. Practical religion does not equal a personal relationship. Here's what I mean. You can do all of the right churchy things, and churchy people get really good at doing the churchy things, but churchy things don't equal a personal relationship. A personal relationship comes about on what you believe about Calvary and the person of Jesus Christ. Practical religion is not and does not and will not ever equal a personal relationship. You know, when Jesus came onto the scene and when he's entering into his preaching ministry, Jesus' biggest complaint was not the prostitutes. It was not the tax collectors. It was not the Gentiles. It was not the dirty old Samaritan dogs. His biggest complaint was church people because church people had this mindset my practical religion makes me right and jesus says wrong if you failed in one part of the law i'm counting that you failed in all of the law the reason why i didn't have problems with tax collectors and prostitutes is because they knew i'm a horrible person and Jesus says, that's the heart I'm looking for. That's the heart I'm coming to rescue. So practical religion, we know it does not translate into a personal relationship. But I am so thankful that we serve a God. That when we choose to make a decision that I want to be serious about the things of God. And even if though we might put our trust in those things, He's coming to us to reveal more of himself. That's what's happening in Cornelius' story. God says, I've noticed your prayers. I've seen what you do to the poor. I know that you're devout, but you still don't know me like I need you to. So I'm going to send you somebody named Peter. Cornelius' men, they gather up as soon as Cornelius says so, and they head out 31 miles down the road to a town named Joppa. So that's scene one. It's all about Cornelius. Scene two is all about Peter. Scene two is Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. Read this with me. The next day, Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, the town of Joppa. And Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. And it was about noon. And he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or a vision. And he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet. Picture a bed sheet. And it was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet there were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice came to him and he said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that Jewish law has said that is unclean or impure. 
But the voice of God spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Anybody out there this morning that's still on your New Year's diet? Like you've made it. Jay, love you. You're better than everybody else. Anybody else? Hey, here's what I know. Dieting is tough. It is hard. Like I get hangry. I get mad. I get angry when I have to diet. But let me, let me tell you this. The Jews were kings and queens of lifetime diets. It's diet for a month or a couple weeks. They literally dieted for a lifetime. And for you and I to understand this conversation that's going on between God and Peter, you have to understand something about Jewish law, and that's this, is that there were certain things that God put his finger on and said, my people are never, ever, ever under any circumstance to eat these things, to come in contact with these things at all, ever, period. He called them and deemed them unclean. So when that sheet comes, the Bible says that all types of animals are in the sheet. That'd be every single one of them that was on the ark. All the unclean ones and clean ones too. It descends, Peter sees them, and God says, Peter, get up, go kill that animal, and go eat. Now, first of all, if you're here today, and if you ever feel bad about eating meat, circle this verse. God is for it, right? He told me right there, I can eat meat. And he also told Noah, as soon as he got off the boat, all these animals are for you to eat. Praise God for meat, okay? But there were certain things in that sheet that Peter knew, I, I, I can't go over there, God. I, I can't eat them. And, and Peter denies God three times again, <laughs> just like he denied him three times on the night of the cross. But then God drops the line and says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. Michael, what, what kind of restrictions do they have in their diet? Let me give you a couple of them. These are the big ones. Number one, no pork. Barbecue shack's gone. Boo, right? Woodshed's gone. I don't really care if the woodshed's gone. I do care if the barbecue shack's gone. Hey, no shellfish. Captain Disease, it's over with, right? Can't go there no more. No lobsters, uh, birds of prey, and a bunch of other things. Hey, think about this as I take a drink because I'm about to cough in the microphone. For your eardrums. Think about this. Peter has never, ever attended an event at New Work Fellowship. And y'all, we do events like we talk about Harvest. If you've ever came to one of our events, let me tell you, the event is awesome. But it's also awesome because we got a whole team of guys that do nothing but make pork chop sandwiches for those events. Peter ain't never tasted a New Work Fellowship pork chop sandwich with barbecue sauce slathered all over the top of it. He ain't never went back for a second one or a third one the next day, and you're wondering, man, do we got any leftovers? Can I eat it again on Tuesday? He ain't never done that. Hey, Peter, Peter ain't never been down to Mikado's and got that Kentucky Derby. You know what I'm talking about? It's that sushi roll, and it's got shrimp, scallop, shrimp, scallop. Never had that with the eel sauce all over the top of it. Ain't never been to the mixer before and said, give me some shrimp tacos with extra sauce. Never experienced it. 
Never went to Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner and sat down and somebody pulled out that ham and it's crisp on the outside and just tender and juicy on the inside. And here's my favorite part about Christmas ham. It's the next day when you pull that thing out the fridge and that tinfoil is all crinkling and you make a ham sandwich and your taste buds just praise Jesus, right? Each one of them. Ain't never experienced that. Hey, here, I know you're all thinking about this. He's never had bacon. Not one time in his entire life. Never woken up on a Sunday morning as eight years old to mama cooking bacon. Never had it. Not one time. No breakfast bacon, no bacon-wrapped jalapenos, no bacon-wrapped chicken. I went to Universal a couple weeks ago, had some bacon-covered, or I'm sorry, some chocolate-covered bacon. Changed my life. Never had that. No bacon. Hey, you need to understand that the Jews saw everything in two different categories, okay? The Jews saw everything in life in these two categories. It is either holy or it is common. It is either clean or it is unclean. And literally, to be holy can be contaminated, or the biblical definition is desecrated, if it comes into contact with those things that the Bible calls common or unclean. So when Peter is saying, no, God, I'm not going to do this. No, God, I'm not going to eat this. He's not saying it because of diet. He's saying it because he knows that it is a sin for him. Because God commanded it in the Old Testament. Well, Michael, what in the world is going on? And what is God trying to teach Peter? God is not trying to teach Peter that the menu is now open. I mean, he is. It is now open. But that's really not the issue. Here's what God is trying to teach Peter. And here's what God is trying to teach you and me. Number one, the power of the gospel makes what was unclean now clean. The power of the gospel takes what was unclean, dirty, filthy, nasty, and it makes it clean, pure, holy, righteous. Hey, here's what I know in here. I know here in this room that there's a whole host of people that probably seven days a week you feel unclean. You feel common. You feel dirty. How could I do that? How could I think that? How could I say that? Friend, let me tell you something. The power of the gospel takes what is unclean, and it will make it clean. See, see, we, we forget about this part of the gospel. And it, my favorite part of the gospel, right, like, like Jesus comes, he takes on all of Michael's sin, and he kills it on the cross as he sacrifices himself. So, so everything that's bad that Michael ever deserved, Jesus took it, which is good news, but we stop there. But here's the deal, friend. It also means that everything that Jesus ever did, that was good. All of his righteousness, once I accept the gospel, God looks at me and counts Jesus' work for me as my righteousness, which is good news for you and good news for me. Because it takes me from being unclean to clean through the power of the gospel. And Jesus and God aren't just teaching Peter this about food. You see, there was a group of people that Peter and every Jew looked at as the king of unclean, and it was the Gentiles, anybody who's not born of full Jewish heritage. And God is about to show Jesus, God's about to show Peter, hey, Peter, those people that you think are unclean, I'm about to use you, and you're going to take the gospel to them, and they're going to become clean. Michael, why is that good news for you, and why is that good news for me? 
y'all, I, I, I hate to shock you with this, but uh, if you was born in America, you, you probably ain't Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Like, you probably a Gentile too, just like Cornelius was, praise God. So it's good news for you and it's good news for me. Hey, after Peter's trance, Cornelius' men, they show up, knock on the door. Hey, hey, we're here to see a guy named Peter, and we're here to hear his message. Our master Cornelius sent us to see you to hear your message. And here's what's astounding if you read the rest of this passage. What Peter should have said as a good rule-following Jew is, hey, that's great. Go find somewhere to stay tonight. Can't be around you. Can't be near you. And we'll go together tomorrow. We'll travel back down to Caesarea, 31-mile trip. Can't wait to walk that with you, dirty Gentiles. And we'll start that tomorrow. That's what he should have said. But what Peter does is the Bible says that he opens the door and he invites them to lodge with him. Did you know hospitality is a spiritual gift? Hospitality. Like, what does it mean to be hospitality? Open the door and let people treat your house like it's theirs. Open the door. Michael, we got differences. I know. It's okay. We can have differences. But let me tell you something. It's really hard to not like somebody when you just start sharing meals with them. I think there's something spiritual that happens when we share meals with people. I think it's important. In fact, if you're a family here today, I think the most important part of your day, aside from your time with God and the Bible, should be around the dinner table with your kids, with your family, talking. My son hates it. I don't care. Daddy, I'm done. I don't care. I'm not. I want to talk to you, <laughs> right? Daddy, Remy's getting on my nerves. She's playing with my Cheetos. I, we're talking. This is good. Let's talk. Hey, Peter opens up the door. He shows hospitality. And the next day, they're going to head out. Acts chapter 10, scene 3, verses 25 through 28 says this. So Peter follows Cornelius' two men and his guard, and they get to Cornelius' house. Here's what it says. Peter entered his home. That's Cornelius' home. And Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and they went outside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, You know it is against our law. For a Jewish man to enter into a Gentile home like this or associate with somebody like you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Hey, let me give you truth number two. The power of the gospel removes ethnic barriers and walls of hostility. Hey, here's the question. Who do you and I look at? And our first thought that we have when we look at them is hesitation, unclean, common. I don't want to be around them. Who is it? I'm not talking about your cousin that you can't stand. That's probably okay, okay? I'm talking about what groups of people do you and I look at and have the viewpoint of as they are unclean. Hey, let me tell you my favorite thing, one of my favorite things. I, I'm learning new stuff all the time, y'all. I love it. I learned this week that the gospel is not just to get people saved. 
Like, like that, that's when you turn the light switch on. The day's just starting, friend, after you get saved. The gospel, listen, listen to this. The gospel can change us even once we have been saved. The Bible says that this happens eight years after Pentecost. Listen, the, the gospel is for church people who are set in their traditions and who say, well, this is the way it's always been. My granddaddy, he cleared the brush pile for this building to be built, and that's how he did it, so this is how we're going to do it. Hey, the gospel is for those crusty old dried-up Christians that need a heart check. It will change and wreck you. It ain't just for unsaved people, y'all. It's for us. And eight years later, Peter is still unfolding the gospel, and it's still changing him. God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as unpure. Michael, how does the gospel deal with, with ethnic barriers and with walls of hostility? And maybe you're naive, okay? Maybe you don't think we have any walls of hostility here today, like in 2023. Let me tell you something. If that's you and you don't think it's hostile out there, you are wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. I spent five and a half hours over the last two days driving around four middle school boys, and they smelled like middle school boys. Okay, and I'm talking to them because I want to know what's going on in their life And so I'm asking them questions, right? Like, hey man, did you guys see like ethnic hostility in your schools? And I was blown away by the things that kids are telling me that other kids say to them Blown away And let me tell you something about ethnic hostility and dividing walls and barriers uh, There's not a policy that's going to fix it there's not a politician that's going to fix it. Your opinion is not going to fix it. If everybody would do what you say, it's not going to fix it. Michael, what's going to fix it? The gospel's going to fix it. That's the only thing, friend, that is going to fix it. See, see what the gospel did. When Jesus was on the cross, it literally broke every barrier, and it makes it possible for anyone to have access to the atoning work of Christ. Michael, do you really believe that, friend? I really believe that with my whole heart, that God loves the nations and that God desires for everyone to come to know him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, like the moment that he died on the cross, it says that in the temple there's a special place called the Holy of Holies, where one time a year the great high priest would go in and offer sacrifices for everybody's sin. And sometimes, y'all, it didn't work, and that holy priest would die. He would die. So they decided, we're going to start attaching ropes to him in case he dies. That way we can pull him out. If y'all ever come up here and try to attach a rope onto me before I preach, or any other pastor, I'm cutting it, and we're going to pause on the day. Time out. The Bible says that the moment that Jesus died, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the Bible says that the veil was torn, not from top to bottom, because any man could have tore a veil from top to bottom. The Bible says that it was torn from literally from the top of the veil to the bottom of the veil, because God's making a statement, and here's the statement. Anyone has access to me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, my son on the cross. That's the statement. Anyone has access. Do you know in the temple, there was a place called the Court of the Gentiles. Like if you were like Cornelius and you decided, man, I, I love the God of Israel. I want to come serve him. I want to come worship him. They, they had a special place for you. And, and that special place was the only place that you could go. 
It'd be the equivalent of, of you coming to church and being like, hey, what road do you live on? Oh, you live on that side of the street? Well, here's what we need you to do. Your place is out there in the commons. Don't open up them doors. You're not allowed to come in. That's how they treated the Gentiles. Hated them. Thought they were common and unclean. But what God is teaching Peter is that I am going to break down every ethnic barrier. I'm going to break down every wall of hostility because the gospel is for everyone, for Jew, for Gentile, for rich, for poor, for slave, for free, for man, woman, and child. Everyone now has access to me because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching Peter. And listen, y'all, the New Testament church, it's going to take them a long time to figure this out. They're going to have lots of debates. Acts chapter 15 talks about one of these debates. What does somebody do, have to do to be a Christian? I think they all have to be circumcised. Well, I think they should all follow the law. Well, I think, well, I think, well, I think. Hey, praise God, we don't have to follow all 613 laws anymore. You can eat bacon and not have to repent about it. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united both the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. How? How did he do that? When his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Hey, let me give you the truth about the gospel. You and I are called to carry the gospel outside of our comfort zone. To, to open your mouth to speak the gospel. Michael, I don't even know what the gospel is. Friend, let me tell you, it's really easy. Three parts. Jesus came, he was alive, he died on the cross for your sins, and three days later, through the power of God, he got up from the grave. What are you going to do with that? That's the gospel. You're going to believe that or not? The Bible says that everybody who believes that will receive everlasting, eternal life, and those that don't, they're still going to live forever, but it ain't going to be eternal life. It's going to be eternal hell. What are you going to do with it? That's the gospel. Michael, I, I, there's people that I'm just not comfortable taking the gospel to. Friend, open your mouth. <laughs> the world is dying to know the hope of the world. Michael, give me a practical way. I mean, how, how could I help take the gospel to unreached people? Hey, everybody say, Leaf, this is a... Y'all are so smart. This is a leaf. Hey, right outside, as you leave in the commons, if you look to the left, we are not building the Rainforest Cafe 2.0. That's not what's going on, Okay. We are taking a trip to Brazil. We're going down the Amazon River on a boat for a medical mission trip, and we're sharing the gospel. Michael, why are you holding up a leaf right now? Because every leaf that is on the wall is a practical need that you can meet to help carry the gospel to unreached people. This leaf says $50. If you wanted to mess up and add a couple more zeros somewhere and give that, that'd be great. That'd be fine. Maybe we could stay a couple more days. As you leave, grab a leaf. Pray. Listen, I, I had a family that were here first service sitting right over there. They said, listen, we just closed our eyes and pointed, and you know what they got? They got triple antibiotic cream. Maybe you should do that instead of going after the 50 or $500 one. Just close your eyes and point on the wall. Take whichever one you get. This is a practical way on how you and I can be partners with Jesus in taking the gospel to those who look different than us, who sound different than us, but it's what we are called to do. Peter's lesson about the gospel breaking down walls and removing barriers isn't just for Peter, but friends, it's for you and it's for me. So here's what happens. Peter arrives, Cornelius falls down, he says, no, stand up, I'm a man just like you. And then Cornelius says, 
Peter, I had a vision, I had a dream, and in this dream, the angel told me to get you to come here so I could hear your message. I've got to hear the message that you have. And y'all, I bet Peter had a lot to say, like he was probably pretty opinionated. Has said, and he has already said some of it. I'm a Jew. I'm not even supposed to be here right now. But in this moment, clarity comes upon Peter, and he knows exactly what the message is that he is supposed to share with this person. And the message is the gospel. Here's what he says. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. 48, last big chunk that we're going to read. Hang with me. Here's what it says. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favorites. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him, who do what is right. And this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, that underline that, who is Lord of all. You know what happened in Judea, beginning in Galilee, and he's going to summarize all of Jesus' ministry. Here it is. John began preaching the message of baptism. And you know that God then anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing good, healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil. Because God was with him. And we, the apostles, we are eyewitnesses to what he did in Judea and in Jerusalem. And then they, the religious leaders, put him to death by hanging on a cross. But God raised him to dead, raised him from the dead on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to everybody, but to those whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed to be the judge of all living in the dead. He is the one that all the prophets, all the scriptures, all the Old Testament is pointing to that everyone who believes in him will have forgiveness of sins through his name. Hey, Peter is going hard in the paint. I mean, he is preaching, he is giving it to him, and then Peter is interrupted in his sermon. Y'all ever been interrupted before? I've been interrupted a lot, but I've never in interrupted in a great way. Peter just gets interrupted in a great way. Here's what it says happens. And even, verse 44, as Peter was saying these things... The Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that this gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to them being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did. So he gave orders. He ordered the Jewish people that were with him, you go and baptize this Gentile. Peter, they're unclean. No, they're not. They just received the Holy Spirit. They can't be unclean if they've got the Holy Spirit. You go and you baptize them in the name of Jesus. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them several days. Hey, here's the thing. Peter goes into the house of a Gentile, preaches the gospel, and the same Holy Spirit that fell on Peter eight years ago that gave him the gift of tongues is the same Holy Spirit that falls on them. And Peter and every believer knows this is the work of God. There's no more partiality. There's no favoritism. God has sent the same Holy Spirit to them that he has sent to us. Jews and Gentiles now being made one and coming together. And here's the point. The power of the gospel 
drives diversity into the church. It drives it. It is the vehicle of diversity in the church. This is why we say, we believe, we've got it right outside the commons wall. We want you to look at it every time you come in here. It's our vision. It's our mission. We exist so that every man, woman, and child might have the opportunity to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to go as the body of Christ. God's plan from the very beginning is that salvation would come into the world through Jewish people. That's what Genesis chapter 12 is about when he gives Abraham the promise. I'm about to bless all of the nations through you. A blessing is coming from the Jewish people to all of the world. What is the blessing? The blessing is Jesus. And then Jesus said this about himself being on the cross. John chapter 12 verse 32. When I am lifted up from the earth, when I am on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. Friend, here's what I want you to see today. If we want to be a church that models this diversity that we see in Acts, it begins with how we see people. How we see people. Michael, I can't change the way I see people. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We are not called to see people by the color of their skin. We are not called to see people by their achievements or their failures, by their status, by their nationality, by their heritage or their ancestors. We are called to see people the exact same way that God sees people. And here's how God sees people. By the heart. He sees the heart. Michael, I can't see the heart. Not if you're looking with your eyes. You're going to have to get to know them. That's the point. It's got to change how we see people. You know, I had this, had this thought, and it just, it just smacked me. I was thinking, like, God, you, you could have sent the gospel to Cornelius in so many other ways than what you just did. Like the angel, right? God, why didn't you just tell the angel to tell Cornelius about the gospel? Or why didn't you save Peter a 62-mile trip, and you could have told, hey, Cornelius, I need you to go. You go, Cornelius. Why did you do it the way you did, God? Why is it that Peter and Cornelius both had to have dreams, both have to have visions for, for them to come together? And, and here's the truth. You ready for this? God does not plant a church in a city so that the city can come to the church. You ready for this? God plants a church in the city so that the church can go to the city. Go. That's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. He didn't say, listen, I'm leaving. Holy Spirit's coming. Here's the assignment, boys. Find the best architect you can. Build the nicest buildings. Let's have some stellar programming, and the city's going to come. Didn't say that. He said, go, go, go where, God? All the nations. Well, God, that's not very specific. Okay, Judea. Let's start there. Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go! It, it, it is not on culture to come to church and figure out how to live and please God. That is not a weight that is on their shoulders. Friend, that is a weight that is on our shoulders. It is about the church going to the city. See, friend, God loves the city, and that's why He plants a church in a city. It's not that he loves you and wants to keep you out of the city. We should go. Be in and not of. 
Peter goes, he preaches. People that are Gentiles come to know Jesus. And aren't you glad that we live in a city that's diverse? I don't know about you, but I am. I'm glad. I'm so thankful because, because here's the deal. It means that if we get this church thing right, if we do it the way the Bible says, right, because the Bible in Revelation talks about a church, it's going to be a new city, the new Jerusalem. Don't miss it. It's going to be good. It's going to be incredible. But the Bible says in that new city, that new Jerusalem, that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be gathered together as one people worshiping God for all eternity. So here's the deal. If that is the vision of where we're going, that should be the practice of what we're doing now. Like, like if that's the vision that God gave the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, here's where, here's where all of this is going, John. We should emulate it right now. Friend, let me tell you something about being a believer in Christ. As a believer in Christ, there is zero room, big fat zero room for racism in your heart. I'll, I'll just say it again. As a believer in Christ, there is zero room for racism in your and my heart. There is zero room for prejudice in your heart. There is zero room for bigotry in your heart. In the moment that you and I, in our pride, believe that someone isn't good enough to come to our church, number one, it's not your church. It's Jesus Christ's church. I don't care what your granddaddy did. I don't care how much you give. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. And the moment that you and I feel like somebody is not good enough to come into the doors of our church is the moment that you have just traded in your heart and mind the church of Jesus Christ for a social club. And let me tell you something about your social club. You can decide who comes to your book club. I don't care. Invite whoever you want to come to your book club and tell them no if you don't want them to come. That's fine and dandy, but you don't get to tell people no to come to church because it's not yours. It's Jesus's. Hey, he, here's what I know. The church that Jesus Christ died for was designed to be diverse. Designed. By its own design, it is designed to be diverse. Let, let me just, uh, let's, let's play pretend, and let me just make this super simple for you, because everybody should figure out the answer to this problem, no problem. Let's pretend that your church hires a youth pastor. That'd be me, okay? And, and this youth pastor, right, I mean, he's here for a little bit, and this youth pastor, I mean, he's saying stuff that's like crazy, stuff like, listen, I, I really like students, but I only like students that are the same color as me. I, I want to reach students, but I only want to reach students that are just like me. I, I, I really like students, but, you know, I'm, really gonna, I'm only going to pour in and care for those who are into the same things that I'm into. Do you know what should and would happen? If that were the case, what should and would happen is that the elders and the pastors should call the youth pastor in and present the gospel and say, Do you know Jesus? Because that ain't Jesus. And then once they introduced he or she to Jesus, they should send them on their merry way. Right? That, that should be what should and what would happen in this church. If it is that crystal clear, if that's what happened, should happen to an employee of the church, what are you going to do when Jesus comes back and says, I put you in the middle of a diverse city and you didn't do anything with it? I don't have an answer to that. Do you have an answer to that? 
Like Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, his church, when he says, I put you in the middle of a diverse city and you did nothing with it. I, I tell you, I for one, I don't want to have to answer that question. So I'm just going to do everything I can to never have to answer that question. I told him, Lord, February 5th. I told him, 10.45 a.m. Sunday, 2023. I told him, we got to get busy. We got, we got to get on with it. The church is not called for us to just come and invite people. The church is called to go. I just want to end with, with this one thought, and I'm done. Friends, if anyone, and the Bible's clear on anyone and everyone, if everyone and anyone is welcome to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, then anyone is welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. Anyone. Let me pray for you. God, would you use the power of the gospel, God? Would you use its reconciling power to bring diversity into your church? God, thank you that you have planted New Work Fellowship in a diverse city. God, I pray that you might use it to be a reflection of the church that is coming, that we hear and that we read about in the book of Revelation, that it might be a church that reflects what it looks like for people to gather together as one people, as one people, even though we might be from a different tribe, tongue, and nation, but God, as one people gathered together, worshiping Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, would you do this for us in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen.